Tonight I want to walk through a little history. Sounds like I'm roaring. Recently in my studies I've been, uh, I read through the Bible chronologically and I've been in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles and I was reading a commentary that one of the men had uh, written about those books and he said that they were written about a very difficult period in the history of God's people, Israel, a time of great change and upheaval. There was a struggle from within and pressure from without. And I thought, they might have been watching the news channel. Because it sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? And, and as I was uh, you know, thinking about what I, I needed to share tonight... Um, you know, there there have been so many things happening, and I don't want to get caught up in those things. But it, you know, we are at a point where, as I read these things that happened to Israel and happened to God's people then, it seems to me like it's just more escalated now than it's ever been, and 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 we see more and more things happening, and God's calling His people to Himself, and so that's where I want to go tonight. I want to kind of take a a look at that. Um, as you start in First Kings, we've been through most of the of um, I wouldn't call it peace, but at least it wasn't a lot of turmoil. And you know, as you think about that, um, it's been some time since we've had a King David. It seems like, but as we begin Kings, First Kings, one of the things that's happening is that David's getting old, and that you know, God has a way of uh, getting us where we're, we're, we're not going to stay here forever. Even though we believe in healing and believe in God's uh, grace, we're not going to be here forever. And in the midst of that, I'd like to go to 1 Kings 1. 1. Now, King David was old, and he was advanced in years. And I can relate to that more all the time. And... In the process of that, uh, it goes ahead and tells uh, another part of the story that I don't really want to look at. But when, when we see those things happening, then there are people who start taking advantage. And I want to go over to verse 5. And Janiah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself. And I thought, what a word. As, I, as I've watched this last um, campaign for president, they call it, but I'm not sure what it is, nearly everybody exalts themselves. And one of the things I want to look at tonight is, are some lessons that we can have from history. And as a nation, we may not have a lot of control except both our prayers, but as, as people, as individuals, we can have a great amount of control over what happens. So he exalted himself and he said, I will be king. Now he's not saying, he's not making a statement, I'm going to be king. He says, I want to be king. And if you look at what was happening at that point, he had three older brothers. He was the fourth oldest son of David. And, and the older brothers had already died. Um, you remember there was a a fellow who uh, 
uh, had come to a point where he had uh, decided that he wanted to be with his sister, and, and they had uh, relations. And after that, uh, Absalom decided, and he was the oldest, Amon, and he decided, Absalom decided he was going to kill them. Absalom, you know, got killed, and in, in, in he was older, and he got killed. So if, if in the way of man's thinking, Adjaniah was a, would be the next king. He was the oldest son. Have you ever noticed that God's way of thinking and man's way is not the same? And, and think about David himself. You know, he was that one that was out taking care of the sheep, right? And even, even Samuel didn't suspect that he would be the one that would take over. He was expecting God to say it would be one of those other guys. And so I like to read together or you know, look together at this. Verse 6 makes a, a pretty strong statement for us dads with Father's Day coming next week. And his father had not rebuked him at any time. In other words, he said, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots, horses, and 50 men to run before him. And his, his father had not rebuked him. He didn't stop that. Why have you done so? And, and ever ask him, why have you done so? He was also very good looking. Remember how good-looking Absalom was? This is his brother. And then verse 7, Then he conferred with Joab and Zeroth and with Abathar, the priest, and they followed and, and helped Adjaniah. So he's got three people on his side, and he's going to move and start running for president. I mean running for king. I think I saw some of that a few months ago. But verse 8, remember we're, we're looking at God in God's ways. Zodak the priest, Benaniah the son of Jodahiah, and Nathan the prophet. These were the people who were very close to David and the people that you would thought that he would wanted to confer with. And, and of course David's mighty men who belonged to David, they were not with this man. And since they were not with him, they did, you know, there came a time where he was basically by himself and those people weren't with him. Now, as you read the rest of chapter 1, there's a whole um, scheme that goes on. I, I want to go down to verse 18. So, they're scheming to look at, at, at what we can do to make sure that that this man doesn't become king because what do we know who had God anointed already? Who had God said would be king? Who's supposed to be king after David? Solomon is, isn't he? And it's already been announced, but, it, but there hasn't been any action taken. And so here's David, and there's some indication. He was almost, you know, he was so weak. He was on his sickbed at the time. And Adjaniah saw the opportunity, and he was going to be that, that man. And so... What he did, Adjaniah went and he, he uh, had a sacrifice. And in verse 18, so now look, Adjaniah has become king. And now, my lord, the king, you do not know about it. And, and they're saying he became king. There's no indication he really became king. He just wanted to be king. In verse 19, he has sacrificed oxen, fatted cattle, sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king 
Abathiah the priest, Joab the commander of the army, but Solomon your servant, he was not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of Israel are upon you, which is another way of saying what? You're, you're in the spotlight. You need to move. You need to make a move. And he said, the eyes of Israel upon you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, it will happen when the lord, the king, rests with his fathers. In other words, when you die, that I and my, and my son Solomon will be counted. And this is the mother talking to Solomon at this point, point, and they're gonna, they'll be killed because that's the way they did things. That's how they cleared things out. Sometime, well, no, we won't go there. So Nathan comes in telling the same story, Nathan the prophet. Let's get down to verse 28. And King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence, stood before the king, and the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on the throne in my place. So I certainly will do this day. So he's saying, I will take action. The eyes are upon me, and I'm going to take the action that I need to take. And so, you know, as that was happening, again, there's a lot of good things in this, but I, I, I want to get to, uh, you know, at certain points here in a minute. I want to just kind of lay out what's happening at this point. So let's go down to First uh, Kings 3. By this point, Solomon has been made king. Adjaniah, what happened to him? Got executed. There's a story behind that, but you know he he he's no longer in the picture. And verse three of chapter three, and Solomon loved the Lord. Now, what I want to look at tonight is what can happen to people. As, as we, God's people, are in, a, um, in, in situations where we can be drawn away by what's happening around us. And I, and I want you particularly to remember that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, and <laughs> except, isn't it interesting, we always have something in there, that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. And at that point, there wasn't a temple. There were certain high places where they did this, but it was against what God had told him to do. And, and he, he, that's one thing that he didn't do. And, and then, verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, What shall I give you? And Solomon said, You've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, uprightness of heart, with you, and you have continued this great kindness to him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. So, if you will, he's saying, God, you've really blessed us, and, and I know that you've put me in this position. 
And verse 7, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. And then you see the true heart of Solomon, where he is at that point. Because not only does he love the Lord, but he's very humbled at that point. And I think most of us would be, except we have some people who don't seem to be very humbled by the office that they're running for. But he said, I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge the people that I may discern between good and evil. And I think most of us have have heard that before and, and know that, you know, that particular request really pleased the Lord and, and he, was, uh, he, he was granted that. But let's go down to verse 13. And also have given you what you have, you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be anything, anyone like you among the kings all your days. So, and he's telling him ahead of time what he's going to do. And as we look through the word tonight, we'll see that he did that in abundance. And then he said, if you walk in my ways, if is a very small word, but it also has great bearing on the outcome. To keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon, at, at that point, Solomon woke, and indeed it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered up peace offerings, and made a feast for all the servants. And so here we have a, a, a fellow, a man, who, if you will, has been put in a position that he feels very inadequate for, and yet is, is, is trusting God and loves God with all his heart. Let's go to 1 Kings 6, 6.12. Let me just say in between there, there's a there's discussion between David and and Solomon. You know, David wanted to build the temple for God. God would not let him because of all the blood that he had shed. And that being a situation, that uh, he went ahead and made all the preparation. And, you know, the numbers are all there. They're so big and so impressive. I have no, you know, I, I don't have a real good comprehension of how huge that undertaking was, but I know, you know, based on what what we what understanding we have of the gold and, and the silver and all that, it was it was tremendous at that point. So if you will, David's passed away, he's he's given this stuff into the hands of Solomon. Solomon's gonna build a temple, and that's where at, and, and that's where I would like to go uh, you know, if you will, with that. Six twelve concerning the temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, then I'll perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David. How many times have we heard that from this pulpit? And yet, we know this young man heard it many times too, from dad as well as directly from God. And, 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 and yet, we want to look and see where that, where that all led. Verse 13, And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will not forsake my people Israel. So, 
verse 14 just makes a... Now, this was written a number of years later after it actually happened. So sometimes historians have a way of taking a, a, you know, a lot of history and putting it in one word. Here it is. So Solomon built the temple and he finished it. And, and, and we know, that, you know during all that time how well he, he was a part of what God was doing and, he was, uh, and God was a part of what he was doing. I want to go to verse 22, if you, uh, 8, excuse me, 822, 8.22. The temple's being built, and Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven, and he said, Lord God of Israel, there's no God in heaven above on earth below like you. Now, I don't think this man is, if you will, in, in any way uh, not expressing what's really in his heart at this point. He says, you keep your covenant and your mercy with your servants that, who walk before you with, their, with all their heart. You've kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You've both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand. So it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. And, and this is not God talking now. This is Solomon. Only if your sons take heed to their ways, that they walk before me as they have walked before me. And, and now I pray, O Lord of Israel... Let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David. And, and this is all happening during dedication. Let's get down to 33. When your people, Israel, are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when you turn back and they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication for you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to this land which you have given him. There's a prophecy in that because we know that's what happened, right? They were taken from the land, and, and this is Solomon talking ahead of time. And if you, you, know, you can read the rest of that chapter, and it's all about what, what God, uh, things are going to happen in the future and how Solomon is asking God to hear from heaven and hear their prayers. And then I want to go to chapter 9, verse 1. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desires which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. Now, most of us haven't had the first time, right? And probably won't have, by the way. But this man had God appear to him two times. And he appeared to him as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the, and the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplications that you have made before me, and I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and commandments, a lot of ifs in there, isn't there? And that's where we get tied up on that, on that little word, if. 
Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you and your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house which I have concentrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? History, we know what happened, right? That's exactly what happened. The house was completely wiped out. And people did wonder what had happened. But verse 9, he says, Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have embraced other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. So here's a young king, has all this background of his, of his father, and now God's speaking to him two times and giving very strict instructions. And in the midst of all of that, things start to happen. Let's go to verse or chapter 11. How long was Solomon king? About 40 years. And, we're not, and I'm not sure from what I could read just exactly, you know, when, when some of this was starting to happen. But in chapter 11, verse 1, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Now, if, if you look at the number and, and the, peop, the, the women who he married, many times when he made a covenant or a, a treaty, if you will, with neighboring countries, the king gave a daughter to him. That would really be blessed, right? Many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, and that happened, that's mentioned way back in chapter 3, women of the Moabites, the Amorites, the Edomites, Sidonites, Hittites, from the nations of whom God had said to the children of Israel, here we go, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after other gods. And so Solomon turned away from the women, right? He clung to those in love. So here we have a, a man who's been put in feeling very humbled, feeling, feeling very much like a child, given a man's job. And now that he's gotten all these things done, he's at a point now where he's if you will, exalting himself. And, and as a result of this, well, let's just read verse 3. He only had 700 wives and princes and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so that when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. 
David finished well. He had some difficulties through the, way, through the time, but, but he repented and came back and he finished well. <clears throat> Solomon's doing just the opposite. He started well, but now he's falling away and falling back to these other gods. It's almost hard to read, but look at verse 7. Solomon built a high place for Shemez, the, the ab, abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. Right close to God's temple, he builds another temple for a foreign god. Boy, I'm glad that's not happening in America. And for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon, and he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense, sacrificed their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and then commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give excuse me, give it to a servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it for in your days for the sake of your father. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, however, and I will not and I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of your servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. God keeps his promise, but man can make it a lot less than what it was. And that's what we see happening here. And as I think about all of that, and, and, you know, it just goes on and on with that. And if you know anything about kings and chronicles, you know, it's, it's just one king after another. Some of them loving God, doing good things. Others paying no attention to God. <laughs> Sounds familiar. And, and doing things that are not godly, if you will, almost like spitting in the face of God. What lessons can we learn from this for us here in America at this point? If they're reading our news, what can we learn? I'd like to start out with, you know, to me, the history, number one history lesson is God's patient and long-suffering. This went on for years and years before he dropped the hammer, right? And and, And I'm thankful that he's not dropped the hammer on us yet. But I can't see how he can keep from doing it based on where we are. God's patient, long-suffering, but persistent in in violation or going against his covenant is going to bring punishment. And you remember back when Solomon was praying and he talked about God's people, Israel, going into a foreign country, being exiled into a foreign country? Well, that happened eventually. And I'd like to go to Kings. 1 Kings 10, 14. Not only were wives involved, foreign wives involved, and, and I think how subtly many of these things happen to us, but... If we look at what Solomon was able... Now, this is after he's put all that gold and all that silver that David put together in, into the 
the temple, and then he built his house much larger than the temple. And all of that's done, and, and it's so magnificent that, that you know, people are awed by it. Then beyond that, the weight of the gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, from the traveling merchants and from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia and from the governors, and King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shields of gold went, 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. And you can just keep reading and reading and reading down through there and see all that he had. But verse 27 kind of says it all. The king, King Solomon, made silver, what? As common in Jerusalem as stones. When I read that, Pastor, I thought of our video that we've been watching and how, you know, even in town there's stones in the way. And, and silver was as common as stones. And he, now, <clears throat> some of us would look at that and say, God's really blessed them, right? Well, verse 28, Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kiev. The king's merchants brought them at the, bought them at the current price. Now, a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. In other words, you get to the point that you just keep buying and buying and... <laughs> I was talking to a, a man one time who had, had just bought the second pickup truck, both of which uh, probably would buy my home and farm if, if you put them together in this day and age. And somebody asked him why he did that, and he said, just because I can. Well, <laughs> just because I can isn't necessarily what I ought to be doing, right? And so... As you look down through there, and, and even verse 29, now a chariot that was imported cost 600 shekels and a horse 150, and thus through their agents they, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. I, I've, just, I've got to take you back to Deuteronomy 17 with me. Let's go back there. Deuteronomy 17. And of course, you know, the, the law is coming out at this point. And um, and so that, you know, that, that's what we're, we're looking at here. The God's law, verse 7, or 16, uh, chapter 17, verse 16. 16 says, you shall not do what? You shall not multiply horses. And what did he do? I think there were some, and one of the places it tells us, I think 6,000 horses or something like that. I don't know if you can imagine to a farmer, when I have one donkey, how much feed it eats and how much I have to carry away after it's eaten, and they had 6,000 horses. Amazing to me that he thought he needed that many. And, and I think that, uh, it was one of the Rockefellers who asked, you know, if, if you get that next million, um, 
how, how are you going to know when you had enough? And he said, well, I just need a little bit more. And I was talking to a friend, and he was telling me about, well, how much he was making every day, he and his wife and the farm, how much they were making every day. And he said next year he wanted to be $250 more every day. And my question was, how much is going to be enough? And he said, I don't know if I'll ever have enough. Now, this is a man who knows the importance of of living for God, but doesn't have time. So, verse verse, uh, 16, you shall not multiply horses for for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Where did they get their horses? Remember back there? Verse 29 of chapter 10. From Egypt, they cost 600 shekels. So not only did they multiply the horses, they got them from the place he told them not to. Of course, Egypt could represent the world. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. And you have to love 17. Neither shall you do what? Multiply wise for yourself, lest... His heart will turn away. And if you, if you look at this, this is where they were looking at principles governing kings. And, and the smartest man who ever lived is going exactly opposite of what the Bible says. Amazing, isn't it? Boy, I'm glad we don't do that. Neither shall you multiply wise for yourself, lest your heart will turn away, and, and, and nor shall you multiply silver and gold. And gold is as common, I mean, silver is as common as stone. Now, who was this guy? This is the guy who was little, who felt so inadequate to be doing what he was doing. God helped him do it, and what did he become? He exalts himself, doesn't he? Do you think there's any less in that for us? Another thing that I, another, um, if you will, uh, nugget I think that has it, that can talk to us about history is that God is the Lord of history. And as, I, as I've read through all of these chapters, one of the things that I know is that God is working in and through people to accomplish, to establish the purpose that he has. And uh, what I see him doing, if, if we're one of those people, if you will, who, or a nation who does what God asks, then we're, we're going to enjoy that relationship and the benefits of that relationship. But those who go against what God wants they're going to lose those benefits. And, you know, as, as, I, I, as I thought of that, um, I thought of an argument I had recently with someone, and they said, well, you know, how do you know God's chosen you? Well, let's look at Ephesians 1.4. Remember that? It says, he chose us in him when? 
before the foundation of the earth. You're chosen. And, 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 and we're the people who need to be carrying out what God has given us here on earth to do. And as I, as I look at history and as I look at what's uh, happening to our country, um, our beacons are going to be shining brighter and brighter. I think another thing that happens in this is, is us, we can see the necessity of being obedient to God's commands and then if we aren't, the painful consequences. Let's look at 1 Kings 11 again, back there if you will. 11, 11. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and you have kept my covenant, my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Give it to your servant. There are consequences for making wrong decisions. And then verse 14. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad, Edomite. He was a descendant of the king of Edom. Have you noticed that America has has some adversaries raised up against it. And, you know, as, as you think about that, well, I'll, I'll get to that point in a minute. Let's look at 26 and 28. 26 and 28. Solomon has a servant, Jeroboam. And remember that God said he would tear the king from him and he was going to give it to who? Give it to his servant, Right? Well, here's his servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nabad. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built and prepared the damages in the city of David, his father. And the man Jer- Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now, it happened at that time when he went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. And Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I'll tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon. I'll give it 10 tribes to you, but... He shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes. So he's tearing it out of the king's hand and giving it to a servant. servant. And then um, let's go to verse 40. What reaction do you have when those things start happening? Solomon, the good guy with all the wisdom, what did he do? He sought to kill his servant. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt. And he was in Egypt to the time of Solomon's death. After Solomon's death, we know what happened. He came back and he was the king. So if we don't follow God's commandments... There are consequences, and they're usually pretty grave. The last one of the histories, the lesson, history lesson I think we have here, 
God is the author of redemption. Now, <clears throat> there's a verse that people use a lot of different ways, but in Romans 8.28, I'm sure you're very familiar with that verse, it says what? All things, even wilderness, even desert, work together for our good. And, you know, as you think about that, many times God puts us in situations and in, in tough places so that, that we will see who we are and repent. And, and his goal in all of the situations I feel that he puts us in are so that we will be redeemed. We will be a people. And, and I, I would say to you, he's at a point now where he's putting America in a place where we are going to be a people who are either going to see our, our ways and repent, and some will, but most of us, I got a feeling, will not. Most of us are more about rebelling and doing our own thing and being killed doing it than we are following what God wants. People are born sinful, but God's gracious to those who call out to him in repentance. I want to go to 1 Kings 15. Fifteen nine. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, remember he's got the ten, king, uh, the, you know, the ten kingdom, kingdoms, the king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. He's got, if you will, Jerusalem and the one kingdom where the two have joined together. His grandmother's name was whatever, and his granddaughter... Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. That's a pretty big statement when you think about it. But he was doing things right. Now, he's following Rehoboam, who was a son of Solomon. And Rehoboam did not do things right. And so now we have a new king, and he's doing things right. And he banished, he vanquished the perverted persons from the land. Now, as I looked at that, basically there were two things that they were talking about, homosexual, uh, and, and then also they were looking at something that I would call in our day and age transgender. That, that's, that's the people that he ban, banished from the land. So he's, if you will, he's clearing up the land. And he removed all the idols that his father had made, and he removed his grandmother from being queen because she was caused a lot of this. And she had made an obscene image of Ashtoreth. As Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron, but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. And I wish that would stop there. But if you're reading this chronologically, you've got to go to Second Chronicles 16. Let's go back there a minute. So now we have a man who is, is doing what God wants done.
in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to the king, Asa, king of Judah. So, so now we have the two kingdom, two groups of Israelites coming together for a fight, and in the midst of that, now, now this remember Asa is the king who did everything right that God wanted him to do. Right? Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord. So, if you will. It would be like me coming in here and taking something and hawking it, okay? So he, he came in and stole from God. Now, this is a man who had done things right in God's eyes up to this point. And, and the one who wrote King said, what? He was loyal to the Lord all his days, but he was loyal enough that he stole from him. And Asa brought the silver and gold and he said then uh, he, he, uh, he brought the silver and gold from the treasures to the king's house and he sent for Ben-Hadad king of Syria who dwelt in Damascus so now he's going to a neighbor let there be a treaty between you and me as there it was between my father and, and your father see I have sent you silver and gold and, and whose silver and gold is it? God's right? And he's taking it, and he's making a treaty. And if, if you will, his next sin is he's doing the same thing that his father did. And his father did what? Nothing right in the eyes of God. So now he's making a treaty. So Ben-Hadad heeded his advice and sent the captains of his army against the cities of Israel. They attacked. You can read them. And all the storage cities, now it happened that when Basha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and the timber of Ramah, which he had used for building. Then, let's go to verse 7. And at that time, Haniah, the seer, so here's God's person coming to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria. <clears throat> so what's he done? Now he's got a, a third thing that he's turned against God. Rather than relying on God, he's relying on the neighboring king. And you've not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Where the Ethiopians, and, and, the, and he's talking about history now, you know, when, when the Ethiopians and the Lupians, not a single huge army with very many chariots and, and horsemen, yes, because you relied on God, he delivered them into your hand. You could, we could go back and find that. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro in the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who heart, whose heart is loyal to him. Where's Asa's heart now? Not loyal to God, right? Now, to me... There's a history lesson in that because you and I will probably be tried that way. Okay? We, we, we need to be sure that the decisions we're making are not against God, but they're loyal to God. And, and remember the seers, the, the man of God's coming to him, 
as we continue on in verse 9, in this you have done foolishly. So now the man of God speaking to the king, and he says, you have done foolishly. Pastor, I tried to visualize that happening in the White House, but it would be interesting. And um, what, happened, what was Asa's reaction to that? Now, this is a man who loved God. And his reaction is to be mad at who? <laughs> the man of God. Bad decision. <laughs> and he put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this, and Asa opposed some of the people at that time. Asa's making some pretty, pretty dumb decisions, isn't he? And as you, as you look at, at what happened then, we have to go to verse 11. Note that, the, note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel, and in the 39th year. He reigned 41, and in his 39th year, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, what did he do? He didn't go to God, but he went to the physicians. Now, I don't think there's any indication there that you're not to go to physicians, but I think there is an indication you really need to talk to God, okay, and ask God and so Asa rested with his fathers. He died in his 41st year of the reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in, in a bed which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. Now, think about what we've been looking at tonight and try to imagine how that affects where we are as a nation and where we are as individuals. And I would say to you, yeah, a lot of that is true of the nation, but it's also very applicable to us as individuals. And, and you know, at times like this, I always uh, think of Romans 15.4. You can turn there if you want, but it says, whatever things were written, the Word of God, if you will, before were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope so that it's there for our benefit so that we can have hope and then uh, in second timothy three sixteen, it says all scripture is given inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction and in righteousness only god knows where we're headed as a as a nation but as individuals, we have control over that, don't we? And I think that's going to be the challenge tonight. And what I would, I would say to you is if you haven't read those chapters recently, you may want to. And I, you know, I tried bringing out some things that spoke to me. But there's, there's a lot of material in those that would say to us that we need to be people, as the pastor has hammered us time after time, we need to be people who follow God. And... You know, I, I wondered about Solomon and Asa, and both of them had a great relationship with God to begin with. I wonder why that wasn't there at the end. And, you know, I, I thought of the scripture, you know, how the cares of this world carry us away. And I think that that's a part of it. But I think as much as anything, the cares of the world carry us away from our relationship with God, taking time to pray, 
taking time, come to service, you know, doing, you know, reading our Bible, those things that are important. So let's all stand tonight, and as, as we're thinking about these and where we are, and as a nation, um, it tells us to pray for our leaders, right? And, and I thought about getting a couple examples of people prayed for their leaders, and there was a change. And, and, and I don't want uh, to feel like there can't be a change in Washington. But as, as it is now, you know, I, I, I really wonder where, whether that change is going to occur. But only God knows. So let's pray. Father, I, wanna, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for, for, for you showing us, Lord God, what can happen to people who, turn, who, who just let you go by the wayside, don't have time for you. And Lord, I, I want to thank you that in the midst of that, we, we have not only, Lord, examples in, in your word, but Father, all of us can think of examples in our lives where people, where we at times, Lord God, have, have turned and, and, uh, and, and not kept where you want us to be in your word and prayer and fellowship. So Father, I want to thank you Thank you for your word this night. And, Lord, as we uh, prepare to go home, I would ask you to help us each one, search our hearts, search those things, Lord God, where we are, where our preparation is. Help us to be people who diligently pray for our nation and for our leaders. Father, there is hope, because, but our only hope is in you. It's in, it, in, in I, in our hope for those uh, our leaders are only because we have hope in you that you will change their hearts. And you said, Lord, in your word that you would you take their hearts and you would change it as you have the water course, Lord God. And we've seen those streams down a, a, a wide valley, just winding back and forth, back and forth. And we know that you're in control of that, but Lord, you're more so in control of kings and their hearts. And we give you thanks. We give you praise this night, Lord God. And as we continue to listen to the rhetoric, Lord God, from our leaders and those who want to be our leaders, Father, I'm, I pray that you will give us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to know how to pray for them. And we give you thanks. We honor you. Well, the altar's open if you want to come up and, and uh, check where you are with God. And if the booth would please uh, start some music, thank you.